Hey, it's Amy Brown here to talk about St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. For 60 years, St. Jude doctors and researchers have helped push the overall childhood cancer survivor rate from 20% to more than 80%. But we need your help getting that number to 100%. And most important, your support means that families will never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food. Now, that peace of mind means so much. So join me in helping St. Jude in the fight against childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope and text Bobby to 785-833. That's B-O-B-B-Y to 785-833. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, you know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless western style. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tacovas.com. That's T E C O V A S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Episode 368 with Rita Wilson. I tell you, Mike. I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I figured she'd be nice, but I didn't know what to expect with this interview. She's awesome. She's really nice. Yeah, like you're just like, dang, don't don't go back to California. Stay here. Just stay here and be our friend. She has a new album called Rita Wilson Now and Forever Duets. And, you know, also, you never know where people want to go if they're talking about specifically, we're talking about music, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact that she was like, yeah, my first thing was on the Brady Bunch. She talked about being on that episode. I just really enjoyed the interview. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. And so I had met her briefly once before because we have mutual friends, and I had never want to bother the stars. And so, because you know what? The stars aren't like us, regardless of what you read. They're, they're not. not. They're, no, they're often busy, and they're cooler. And so I didn't want to bother her, but it turns out they're a lot like us because she's really nice. So, I mean, Rita Wilson has starred in so many movies, Sleepless in Seattle, Mixed Nuts, Now and Then, Runaway Bride. It's complicated. She... You know, I, one of the things that I will do is I will, in the middle of an interview sometimes, tell a story that I think might somehow resonate with the person I'm interviewing or they relate to it in a way. It'll be a quick one, and it's not really a technique that people recommend because it's me telling a little story in the middle of an interview with someone else. But I often can tell a story, and if someone reacts to it, and that's all I'm looking for is a reaction, mm-hmm. and I can see what part they react to, and I know they got something to say. And so... When we start talking about her parents, this is, the, 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 for me, the best part of the whole interview. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. And sometimes people are like, yeah, parents are good. It's, it's tough or it's easy or mom's gone. Dad, who knows? But this was like a real deal. I just wanted to, I could have done an hour on just that. It was really good. So she does it all. You know, again, she has a new album. We'll talk about it. We'll play some of it. Obviously, she's acted in, in, in many things. Um She's, I, I know they have kids, right? They have, yeah. Yeah. A couple uh, kids. She's married to Tom Hanks. She's got a million Instagram followers. 
and she's a really cool person. So I hope you enjoy this with Rita Wilson. You and I met, I was trying to think too, it was an event after something. It was after the CMAs. And it was at the Marriott Hotel at and the after party. There were big donuts on a wall. Like, that's what I remember <laughs> that's about right. that. In order, right. and no offense, big donuts, Rita. And <laughs> that's what was, you know that was what? What was cool about that night. One would say that I've got a lot of holes in my head, so maybe that's appropriate. Um, no, and you had either just won Dancing with the Stars or you were in the finals. I can't remember exactly, but I was oh, like... Oh, yeah, I was about to do the finals. Yes. And I was exhausted, and I was like, why am I doing this? It's funny you remember that. I do, I because no you memory. were so... Because I love the show, and I watch the show. You watch the show. Oh, oh I nice. do, I do. And now it's gone to streaming, so I'm going to have to, you know, set it up on that. But... Um, could it, you do that? Could you dance like that? Can you dance? Oh, heck no. I. Oh, Someone with, that has every performance skill... You can't dance. You have every performance skill. Acting and comedy and drama. I got, we, my wife and I were watching Curb Your Enthusiasm the, the other night. <laughs> and we, we, just, we just go through and watch random episodes. <laughs> and there you are, and you're crushing. And I'm like, what does she not do? <laughs> so you're telling me you can't, I don't believe it. Now, you can be humble, but I, I don't believe it. No, I, I have danced. I have danced. But I'm not what you would call a dancer. Like any anything that I do, I have to rehearse a lot. I can't just show up and be like, okay, look at me. You know, I'm... I'm what? Well, I do that a lot without rehearsing. <laughs> look at me. <laughs> I fall down. It's Always a good. Yes, yes. Uh, but we, no, uh, I love it. I love moving. And, and, and the thing is, is like anything like that, like dancing, even if you're just dancing at a party or something, you can't be in a bad mood when you're dancing because the endorphins just kick in and you're so happy. I would challenge that, actually. <laughs> really? I was in a bad mood every time I danced. Like, I can't do it. What am I doing? I know oh, I'm terrible. Um, and yet you won. Only because the people. That's, I mean, really, that's the people. It, it's very much our culture. If the people like you, they, they celebrate you and they lift you. And then once they lift you, they like to knock you down yeah. and like to lift you back up. A, I'm like a yo-yo. It is like, yeah, a, it's yo-yo. like a yo-yo. It's like badminton. Yeah. Kind of goes up. Comes down slow, and they get and slammed. Get yes, that's when you it. Least expected. That's it. We, we have a mutual friend. I, I assume you and Christian are still friends. Kristen Chenoweth. Christian, no, well, her too. Oh, yes, Christian Bush. Oh, Christian Bush, yeah. one of the greatest human beings of yeah. all time. Yeah, like, literally. I got to go on tour with him, and he is. And I've written songs with him. One of my favorite songs I wrote with him and Liz Rose, and um, he's just an amazing human being. The best. I'm the same for me. We've written together when I was doing one of my comedy projects. And Christian writes like a mad scientist. I don't know what how it was with you, but I was like, hey, I have this idea for a song. And he has like an iPad, and he has like a four-stringed instrument with like a, a the tail of a raccoon coming out of the top of it. And all of a sudden, he's got a clunk, <laughs> click and a clock. And he's like, okay, well, I got... And he's all over the place. And I'm like, what? He's at beakers. He's pouring water into beakers. Don't <laughs> steam is yeah, coming everything. out of the things. It's different colors. Just the, but you know what? He was a poetry major in college at Emory. And he thinks like that he thinks in words one time we were writing a song together called um i'm guilty guilty of loving you you know it's like sorry i'm busted yes i love you and uh the writing assignment this was when i was first starting uh, songwriting and he said okay this is the idea now i want you to go away and i want you to list all of the things that you very specifically love about someone what do you mean go away like well, go, like, go to another room we, yeah 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 and not we like just, leave for a month no like no. take a second and yeah exactly take it, a go. moment and uh it was so much fun because what he was i think teaching me was 
you have to, it has to be specific to you. It has to be authentic to you. And that was a really great lesson. But he is also one of the greatest musicians to, to work with and play with. And so is his band, Brandon, and his brother, brother yeah. Benji Shanks. Like, they're just amazing guys. What's, what's uh, remarkable about Christian and Brandon is that just being around them actually spawns even great artists and people. We had a girl who was up here a few weeks ago who is really like catching on right now. She's probably like 20 years old. And we were talking to her, and she was like, yeah, I was an intern in Atlanta for Brandon and Christian. Like, just, and like, just being around that. You see this yeah. in the NFL, too. Around great head coaches, around, uh, around great directors. Like, sometimes you just pick up stuff. You totally pick up stuff. Just and by being around greatness and seeing work ethic and seeing how they do it. Work ethic is, is so huge, at least for me. I, I really appreciate that. I'm always impressed by that. You know, like coming down here and writing in Nashville, when you write, you have these two sessions, right? A morning session and an afternoon session. And it, it, when I first came down, it was intimidating because people were so excellent at what they did, their craftsmanship, their facility. And by facility, I mean that they were literally flexible, facile. They could go in any direction you wanted to go. And um, I learned a lot from that. And I, I, I really... Uh, admire that and respect that because I'm like that. You know, if you if you show up late on a set, <laughs> you are in big trouble. Like they don't like that. So I love that everybody showed up on time. I'm a very punctual person. So yeah, you are. Uh, you I know, might have been here early today. <laughs> not that I'm surprised that you are, but I will say this, and I'm not going to say any names. But anytime that I'm working on a television project in California, and I did many seasons on certain shows, there are people that will be two yes. or three hours late, and it was like. The bigger what? star you, uh, and that's this is off. This is an off mic conversation. And the bigger uh-huh. star you are, they felt like the later they could be, and they they would be two or three, sometimes four hours late. Oh. And but oh, who am I? No. I'm like no, that's I'm, wrong. I'm not top of the call sheets. I'm down a couple spots. And so what do I do? You just wait around. And I was like, man, this is not the environment that I am comfortable being. In. I know I don't like that at all. I I have not experienced that like what you're describing that would never fly on anything i'm working on. and i like, just thought no. well i guess this is california la culture because in nashville it's it's like the real oh, wilson yeah. life you show up on time and because other people have showed up on time and you owe them that respect that's right but I, so you're telling me everybody in los angeles just doesn't pick when they come to work that's i've never th- no i have never experienced that but i know that if that happens it if that happens it it should not fly so i don't know what we're going to talk off mic. Yeah, I got to get the beats on this. Uh, I do want to get to the album in a second and how you landed all these amazing artists or how they landed on your album. I mean, both are really cool things to, even for like Jimmy, like he was super pumped to be on the album. Amazing. Yeah. Well, Jimmy, um, because uh, I had done, he had called and asked me to do something on Betty James and we did a song called When This Is Over with Torin Wells and the Oak Ridge Boys. And I was so uh you know, thrilled that he asked me because I didn't know him at that time. He also did Dancing with the Stars. He did. Yes. I, I, I talked with him a lot through it. Yes. <laughs> I went down to see him because he was so good. It was so exhilarating to watch him. Met his mom and his uncle. It was really very fun. Anyway, so when uh, we were going through the process of selecting songs, the one that I had in my mind for Jimmy was the one that he he literally came out of his mouth. I said, you know, I'm have a couple of songs I want to, you know, run by you. And he said, yes. And I said, okay. And he said, I'll be there. 
And I was like, oh my gosh, Jimmy, I love that song so much. Yes, that's the one I was thinking of. Let's do it. So He's great. He's and great. He's great. You guys did that song wonderfully together. And we'll walk through the whole project in a second because really some, just some, a great list of talent, that, I mean, and you included, that is all on this project. I do want to go back, though, because I'm, I'm curious about kind of your roots and even what it was like growing up like how people turn out the way they are, right? Like I, I, I love this. You know, I grew up in a trailer park, and I think a lot of that influenced how where I am and what I do now. Like mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. When I was five, a lot of that stuff that happened to me, still, buried deep down, still exists. Exactly. So, what was your house like at seven years old? Who's there? Where do you live? Wow, that is such a great question. Well, I'm a first generation American. My mom was Greek, and my dad was Bulgarian, and they. Both had to escape their various countries because during World War II, my mom's village was on the border of Greece and Albania. And as things got tough, they knew they had to leave. So my mom had to cross over these mountains by herself in the middle of the night to get into Greece, to get to Athens, to eventually restore her American passport because she was born in America. Well, how old was she when when she had to do that? She was 19 when she left by herself. Just with this backpack, I call it a backpack, but it was something on her back that carried this sterling silver flatware that they had brought from New York. Did you ever talk to her about that? Like what was going oh, through her yeah. mind? Like, Oh, yeah. When she made that decision where, because that's a hard decision, even if you know you have to do it, it's a hard decision to go, okay, now I, I have to go. Well, the harder decision was that her parents, uh, sorry, her mother was there because her dad had died when they went there on a vacation at four years old just to village visit the village. And um, so her mother was a widow with four kids at a very young age. And they were supposed to leave altogether, but they got word that there was going to be a letter coming, and they knew in this small village that if somebody came to deliver a letter and no one was there to receive it, that's unusual. Where'd they go? Mm. You know where everybody is. So my mom offered to stay back to get the letter so that she could, the family could go ahead of her and then there would be no suspicion aroused. Like cover. Like cover, exactly. And then my dad, he um, was born in Greece and raised in Bulgaria. And, oh my God, his story is so, I don't know how much time we have. Uh, we but, have all the time. It's, okay, it's okay. It's a story that you... It's, it's are, who I am. Yeah, that, that's it's what exactly I know. who I am. And we'll lead back to Christian Bush in a second. Um, but it, he wanted, he, it's so sad, but he met a woman, he had a baby and, um, they, they were married, had a baby. And on December 26th, the baby died. And on December, sorry, on a December 26th, the baby was born on December 29th, the mother died, his wife. And four months later, the baby died. His name was Emil. I didn't know this at all. I did that show, Who Do You Think You Are? And all of this came out. My dad never told me that. So he tried to escape Bulgaria, I think just out of sheer unhappiness. And my dad really loved the idea of America. So tries to escape, gets caught, goes. They say to him, if you try to escape again, we're going to make you an enemy of the state. and We're going to put you in jail. He does it again. He gets caught. And they put him in a labor camp. And this labor camp was one of the most severe labor camps that, that at the time, communist labor camp. He gets a job. It's a coal sort of mining labor camp. 
And he notices that at the night shift, there are these trains that come in and they pick up amounts of coal and they take them away. It feels like a movie. I mean, it, honestly, it, it's it like truly, a movie where like, I'm, it's suspenseful <laughs> and I'm nervous watching the movie and I know it's not real, but this is, you're telling me this a real, real story about your dad. This, yes. And he, um, he, he bribes one of the guards with a, a carton of cigarettes that I guess somebody gave him as a gift on visiting day. And uh, he wanted to work the night shift because he knew if he worked the night shift, he had a plan. So he sees the trains come in. He's working the night shift. He says, hey, can we go down and get some more uh, firewood for the um, fire? They were on a break. It's like 2 in the morning. And the guard says, yeah, sure. He says, can I take Richard with me because, you know, easier to bring more wood back. Mm-hmm. He goes, yeah, sure. So they go down there and they slotted themselves between the trains where they couldn't be seen and they started running. 20 minutes later, they figured it out. He could hear the dogs barking and they just ran and ran and ran and ran. Eventually got away, made their way to Turkey. I'm trying to make it very slow, uh, quick. You don't have to make it quick. Got on a boat that was, uh, my dad got a job on a freighter boat shoveling coal and made his way to uh, Philadelphia and jumped the ship. But what he did was he took Richard with him as a stowaway because there was no work for Richard. And so he was stowed away in the, basically the engine room. (laughs) And Richard and my dad made it to America. And Richard went on to New Zealand and became a very, very successful um, uh, businessman. Wow. Yeah. And so here's the thing about that is that I felt like when you said, what's it like at seven years old? I was keenly aware of how lucky my parents felt that they were. And they always said things like, my dad was always, God bless America, every single day. And I felt like, I'm really lucky. I live in America. You know, <laughs> I was really proud. And uh, he never took that for granted. And Christian and I wrote a song because I, I thought to myself, I wonder if courage is handed down. Does courage get handed down? Do we learn that from somewhere? Do people, do people can they do it? And I thought, we wrote a song called Heart He Handed Down, Christian Bush and I, because I really thought it was for my children, for my, my kids, like to say, this this guy lives in you, you know, he's... I'd like to ask a couple questions about your dad, if that's okay. Because holy, holy moly, the the fact that he first tried to escape, right? Just to, just to try to leave for a better life. Yes. A lot of bravery there. He got caught. Yeah. I'd probably be like, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, I almost got. I don't <laughs> want to go. Break. I don't want to go to jail. Yeah. I don't want to be labeled a terrorist. Basically, is what they yes. said to him. He does it again, gets caught again. Okay. So now, though, if they would have caught him a third time, trying to leave labor camp, oh, it, he would have been shot and killed. They would have killed him. He, absolutely. And when I went back to do that program, they took me to the you know hall of records, let's say, from the Bulgarian government, and he was listed as an enemy of the state. He had a number. If they ever caught him, he would have been put in jail for life. Who knows what else? The other thing I wanted to go back to is, so his first son, Emil, was born on December 26th. Well, my sister, her daughter, firstborn daughter, was born on December 26th. And my youngest son, Truman, is born on December 26th. And I thought, all those birthdays that my dad, on December, he was celebrating my his grandchildren and also his son. And he was there to see them be about. born? He was there to yes, see them, yeah. Yes, yes, He died when he was 89. My mom died when she was 93. That also is, 
they live to be <laughs> a wonderfully old age. Yes, yes. After, and still after married. all of that. <laughs> and, and when I ask what you were like at seven, and I can move to 13 now because I see the picture of your parents, and it's, it's, a, it's a vague picture, but it's a strong picture, right? Like right. A, I would assume that the values they taught you, even maybe not always purposeful, but just because what was instilled in them was like, we don't stop. Like we, if it's something we're passionate about, that's what we value. That's what we, I assume values were just so big in your house. And no, it was huge. Like my dad was a bartender. My mom didn't work and my parents were not educated, but they were very intelligent and they had enormous character. And, uh, it was, it was really fun because my mom also, you know, she did everything. She could sew, cook. She made our curtains, our bedspreads, our clothes. Like if I went shopping for a pair of jeans, I'd be like, oh, these are cute. And she's like, I can make those. I'm like, no, mom, I want a pair of jeans. I want jeans I can buy at a store. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I really learned that value of hard work because I saw how hard my dad worked. And because he would get tips, he'd bring the tips home and he'd bring them home. And you know those purple felt bags from Crown Royal yeah. bottles. We used to keep changing them. Okay, ex- exactly. Yeah. He would bring his tips home in that, the coins. We On Saturday mornings, we'd take them all out, separate out the nickels, the dimes, the quarters, the pennies, put them in the little paper uh, rolls that you know you take to the bank, write the account number on and take them that way. And I thought to myself, my God, like he raised a family of three in Hollywood, never had debt, and I didn't even get a credit card until I was 17 because I was like, Dad, I can't get a credit card unless you get a credit card. So can you please get one so that I can have one on your account? And um, and I, I think that's amazing because you probably can't do that nowadays, you know? That's why you're never late. I mean, that's, I mean, that's why. <laughs> and we laugh. We la- Honestly, we laugh. That's but true. That's probably like deep down in your guts. That's like, I'm not late because I need to respect the other people that are showing up on time. Yeah. Because my parents taught me. Yes. Like, that's a really amazing comeback to that part of the, the, the conversation here where you're like, yeah, I'm not late. Yeah, you know why you're not late <laughs> even though you're a big star? Because your parents have instilled this in you and it's still sitting with you today. That that's is- so cool. I, that, that's very, very nice to think of that way. Yeah, they were just really good people. And I think having parents that... um were immigrants and had accents and things like that. I remember absolutely feeling like people sort of treated them differently. And and I don't mean that in a positive way because they just assumed that they weren't smart or, or not American in that sense, born in America. And um, there was something about that, I think, that allowed it in a way it teaches you empathy because I knew, like, these people are awesome. My parents are fantastic people, even though somebody may not be treating them that way. So you kind of connect to that in a way. So seven years old, I was a really happy kid and um, and very, you know, like, it, it was just a very typical childhood. Even though it was Hollywood, California, it was still very typical. Could have been any town USA. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. 
Tecova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they'll last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. They offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. And stay cool in short-sleeve moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tacova's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. Tacovas.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Amy Brown here to talk about the incredible work that's being done by St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and to ask you today to join me in becoming a partner in hope. When you make a donation to St. Jude, you're helping an organization that has helped push the overall childhood cancer survivor rate from 20% to more than 80%. And I can tell you from personal experience, that number and the hope that it brings is invaluable. Families do not have to worry about a thing. Treatment is covered, travel, housing, food. And when you're a family that's going through this, like imagine you're a parent, your kid gets cancer. You need to focus on that child. You don't need to be worrying about other things and financial stuff can get really stressful. St. Jude covers it. Your support means families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment. And when you sign up for just $19 a month, you're going to get the new This Shirt Saves Lives tee. So join me in helping St. Jude in the fight against childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope and text Bobby to 785-833. That's B-O-B-B-Y to 785-833. Two final questions about your your parents. When do you think that they were the most proud of you? I think they were always proud of me. You know, my parents offered me an incredible foundation of a home base so that I could go off and try different things. And they never stopped me from doing that. They never said, no, that's scary. We don't want you to act or that's weird. You know, they definitely wanted me to go to college, which I did for about two years and just kept working and I couldn't stay in school. But um, they were, they were just, I, I think they were always proud and, and they never held me back from, from pursuing anything. So most proud, I don't know, probably. Do you think the pride was because you worked hard? I mean, just to boil it all down, do you think the pride wasn't because of some award or a job or accomplishment? It was just because you were consistent and worked hard and it's something that they had 
I think so. I think in a way, yes, because I think you can recognize that in your children, you know, and my brother and sister also worked hard, but I think they, they recognize that we would be okay. Like, you know, all parents want their kids to grow up and be okay. You know, you're going to be able to work, have a roof over your head, that sort of thing. So I think they were proud that we were, um, functioning human beings. <laughs> and I'm going to flip it. Now, when were you the most proud that they were your parents? Oh, oh my God. Oh, this, I, if I tell this story, I'm going to totally cry. It's safe space here. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it, you couldn't be in a safer space. Uh, okay. I'll tell this story. Oh my God. This is, this is I'm going to try to tell it without crying. I was about 23. And I was always incredibly proud of my parents. But I was dating somebody who was like from a a wealthier family or something. And we went on a double date with his best friend and the girl that that guy was dating. And um, I was intimidated. You know, they were definitely in a different economic strata than, you know, I was raised in. And the girl asked me what my dad did for a living. And I said, my dad's a bartender. And she said, why do you say it like that? Because I must have just like kind of made a face or something like. And she said, my dad died. I would give anything to have my dad here. And from that point on, everything changed because I was proud of my parents and I from that point on I never ever hesitated or wavered in being proud of my parents and being proud of my dad and what he did for a living because those values and what he gave me is so much more valuable than anything else that the world could have given me way to go Bobby I, I, listen, I love your Make parents I never, ever got, I never ever got to meet them your parents just <laughs> Well, they're here in the room right now. Well, that's, they're amazing they, they people. Are, that is, a, <laughs> I appreciate your generosity with with sharing that about who you are because that is a lot of who you are. Thank you, thank uh, you. But I, I can't believe you asked that question because, like, I after that, I really w- had never been prouder. I mean, it, it, it was almost like, what does your dad do for a living? My dad is a bartender, and he has raised a family of three without any debt without hurting anybody, without doing anything shady. He's just a good guy. That How can you not be proud of that? I can see, too, that you'll go into a songwriting room, just from this conversation here, and be extremely vulnerable. And I think that's the first and hardest wall to break down for anybody that's trying to get to that level of songwriting that feels pure and authentic. Because a lot of people can rhyme words and write a decent melody. And there's a lot of people in this town, a lot of these rooms that can do it even with you. But to be able to break down those walls and share stories like that in a room with two people, with three people, and go, this is me. How do we make this into something that people... Like, you did it here with me. And we only met once before. <laughs> it's the right question. <laughs> I, you, you know. that, that is a, I can see that as vulnerable as you're being right now, it's a place that you still go with confidence? Like, you were proud to tell that story. You knew it was going to make you emotional. Do you ever? Because I feel like, you know, shame is such a powerful 
thing. And so many people deal with that. And, and what I feel shame is in some ways is just a barrier to the vulnerability because you're trying to avoid it in some ways. And, uh, if you can, I felt like, you know, if you can eliminate that, then just get to get to the truth. Uh, I've been very lucky in that um, the songwriters that the very first songwriter, the person who told me I should be writing a song is Cara Diagordi. And Cara asked this one very simple question. I said, I can't be a songwriter. I, you know, don't play music and read music or play an instrument. She goes, neither do I. Do you have something you want to say? And when she said that, I was like, wait a minute. Is 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 that part of like is that part of it? She said, I'm gonna write your first two songs with you. So she could show me the process. And she did. And I was I wrote it uh, that song was called Grateful with Jason Reeves and Cara Diaguardi. And that showed me, oh, okay, oh, I, oh, I see how this can work. And then all of a sudden it's like a cascade of ideas and feelings and thoughts. And, you know, it, it's one of the most satisfying experiences that I've ever been, you know, lucky enough to, to do. I never thought it would happen. And, and the feelings, because uh, I've written a couple books and the feelings from writing books or even doing a five-hour radio show where I'm talking about things happening to me in my personal life and different struggles and the highlights and the hard things to talk about, they're never not hard, but you understand that almost the harder more vulnerable you are, the more people and can get, even yourself, the more you can actually get from it. Yeah. So you realize also after a few times of feeling unsafe and it ends up not being death. Right. You're like, okay, I can go back and feel that way again and not have to worry about dying, which I worry. Yes. And so have you felt that in songwriting where you're, you're able to get vulnerable quicker now because, and it's always, it doesn't feel good, but you understand it's okay. Yes. I'm being taken care of by the people. Yes. And we're doing something for a reason. That's right. And, and I feel, again, if people are there writing uh, to write with me and I'm there to write with them, we have to be in that space. Uh, and and it, it's just almost like a requirement. <laughs> this is required behavior for a songwriting session. And, you know, sometimes sometimes you don't get there all the time, but um, it's definitely a good starting point. Why Nashville? Why country music? I mean, just, I'm gonna, that's oh. just a general vague question because I don't know the answer to it. I know you love it. I have friends of mine that love you and say she's legitimate and that her, it's her care and her passion, but I don't know why. All right, I'll tell you. When I was growing up, we had just AM radio, okay? So all those genres were on there. So you're hearing R&B and soul and pop and country and, you know. And from forever away because AM radio traveled all the way across the country. Exactly. Yeah. It was everywhere. So all these genres are coming at you every single day. And for me, it really was storytelling. And I would imagine things. I would imagine the scenarios. And the first song that I absolutely thought, I want to sing this song, like stand up and sing this song, was Ode to Billy Joe by Bobby Gentry. It was just, it was just, this girl had something to say here. You know, there was a story. So I knew Johnny Cash because of A Boy Called Sue. I knew Dolly Parton. I knew... um Loretta Lynn, may she rest in peace, Tammy Wynette, all those people were coming through the radio. So 
Jeannie C. Riley, Harper Valley PTA, huge. And, and things crossed over back then. So when uh, I started writing with Kara, we, wrote, we were writing in L.A., um, she suggested Nashville and Kristen Chenoweth suggested Nashville. She said, you're going to... Was Kristen living here at the time? She was living... No, she was living in LA at the time. And she said, you are going to love it down there. Go down there. And I had a manager at the time that was based in Nashville. So I started coming down and they started setting up rights. And I realized this is exactly like, this is the storytelling capital of the world and when you come to a place where songwriting is revered and music is revered, it's called Music City for a reason, you understand the, that it's valued here. And that, I think, is why I, you know, I came down here and started it, but also people were very open and very receptive, which I, I am so thankful for. I, I, why would they have accepted me? It's like, oh, yeah, okay, you know... <laughs> Some chick from Hollywood wants to come down here and write music. But it was, for me, it was beyond that. It was sort of like what I always really wanted to do. Like when you think of something you loved to do when you when you were a kid. By the way, did you have anything like that that you yeah. loved to do when you yeah, were a kid? Uh, be on a stage, you know, find... But there you go. Yeah, it was, it was that. You were probably entertaining your friends. Yeah. 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 Mine was singing. <laughs> it was like, I want to get up and sing. Were you a good singer as a kid? I have no idea. I did you ever no sing idea. as a kid in front of more than 25 people? Like age no. age 13. Did you ever sing? No. No, no, no. Never like that. Never. School? I would just get No, I would do school plays and things like that. Sing in the uh, Solos? I sang, Oh my god, you're reminding me. Duh. I sang in a church singing group <laughs> called The Way Home. And we sang songs like uh, uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water. Like Simon and Garfunkel? Yes. Yeah. And we sang it, you know, it was a, a quiet, we were like maybe, we were a singing group. So it was boys and girls. We were 13, 14 years old. We wore patchwork skirts and white blouses. Have you not thought of this in a while? That's I have nice. not thought of this in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I'm like, oh yeah, I was singing in front of 25, more than 25 people. That is right. Um, Did you get a solo? Were you ever the solo? No, we nobody had solos. Mm -hmm. It was just sort of like the church leader played guitar, and we were like, you know, wholesome patchwork. What did the boys wear? I think they wore like brown cords and. Did you did you find like fulfillment as a kid in this group? Were you like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing? But like, there was the early stages of that. Totally loved it. I was obsessed with it. And then that was in junior high, and which we now call middle school. But then when I went to high school, it. There wasn't anything like that that continued on, like the church group, singing group didn't continue on. And um, by then, you know, I had found cheerleading, <laughs> like just yelling, you found not high school. singing. You found I found high, high school, school yeah. exactly. <laughs> you, when you graduated high school, good student, you know, you said you went to college for a couple of years. What kind of student were you? Uh, not very present because I was always working. Working, doing what? Acting. So by then, at 16, you know, I did the Brady Bunch. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yes. I got my screen actor's card. I did not know that. <laughs> yes, Bobby. Would you like me to do the cheer for you? Because Wait, I played a cheerleader. I didn't know. Okay, so what role? You're, so you're a cheerleader. I played Pat Conway. With who? With Greg and Marsha. <laughs> okay, so this was the episode. Greg had a girlfriend. She was running for cheerleader. Marsha was also running for cheerleader. 
But the girlfriend was kind of using Greg because he was a judge of the cheerleading competition. And so when the time came, it was a tie vote and he was supposed to be the tiebreaker. And it was going to get him into deep, hot water with his girlfriend. So instead, he chose me, the cheerleader who really was a cheerleader in real life. <laughs> I've seen every episode of Brady Bunch. And I, <laughs> and I can vaguely remember that part. I did not know. Yes. That was, that was yes. your first role? Yeah, that's how I got my Screen Actors Guild card. Was that show big, though, when you went? Like when Huge. You, were you Huge. starstruck by... Everyone, Mm -hmm. like Maureen McCormick drove a chocolate brown Mercedes onto the Paramount Studios lot, you know, like, oh my God, you know, she's driving a brand new, and she was only 15 and a half, she had her permit, but she could drive, you know, with an adult in the car. So she had a Mercedes, which was like, oh, this is crazy, a 15 year old with a Mercedes. And um, the producers were the same ones that produced Gilligan's Island and all the shows that I loved. And during the filming, um, Elizabeth Montgomery, who played Samantha on Bewitched, came to the set and said hi. So she was also one of my heroes. Like, oh, yeah, exactly. Do the nose, do the nose. So you're 16 and you're working. Are you like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. I know I have school, but this is what I really want to focus on. Or was it just, it was so much fun. Like, what what is it for a 16-year-old? It was so much fun. And also, it was consistent at that point. I also had an agent now. So I got my Screen Actors Guild. I get an agent. I'm now doing a ton of commercials. And I just kept working and working and I never stopped. And there was a point where I realized, oh, my goodness, I think this is my job. I was going to college to become a communications major. Like, you How know, did you graduate do- high school, though, honestly? like if Oh, no, because I, I worked. Oh, well, we had a program at high school called 4-4. So you could go to school for four hours and then work part-time for four hours. And so I got them to agree that modeling after school for four hours and doing auditions for commercials was a job. And it was because I was constantly going on auditions. I guess there's so many kids there that act or in the arts where those programs are probably at a lot of the different schools because they have to be. Yes. Here yes. that would you know that would happen because there's not a lot of kids doing that but that makes a lot of sense but it's much more prevalent yeah now. And you go yeah. to universities now too and they all have theater departments film departments because it's just you know there's a need for more contact con um content and people who make the content so i think that's not going anywhere was there ever a place in your career early on where you thought you know i, I want to sing oh yeah but but to do that i may have to take two steps back like did that ever cross your mind i really wanted to and i remember having a very specific uh moment that you know i i had a job as a ticket taker at this concert venue called the universal amphitheater and it was an outdoor venue and everybody came through there in the 70s so it was you know Joni mitchell carol king james taylor jackson brown elton john the eagles you know you name it they came through and i remember sitting on the steps i would take the tickets then they would allow us to watch the show and i remember sitting down on the steps and having this pit in my stomach, like, how? How do you get up there and be mm. a singer? How do you get to do that? You know, how's Linda Ronstadt up there? How do you find a band? Do I have to play an instrument? Like, it was it was like a palpable pit in your stomach, like a, a, a longing and aching, a yearning, and not knowing how to make that happen. And back then, if by the time I started really being, becoming established, 
if you were an actor, you stayed in the acting lane. If you were a singer, you stayed in the singing lane. And there really wasn't crossover or any overlapping that happened back then. It was just, that's your, that's what you do. And if you were on Broadway, that was different. But Broadway people didn't do film. Mm-hmm. It was so weird. Now everybody can do now, everything. Yeah. I mean, like it's the mid so... nineties was kind of the first. Yes, the first layer of people. Even then, it was kind of weird, like when Jennifer Lopez would do it in early two thousands. Yeah, but now everybody does everything. Exactly. You know? so, I, I think that's good. I don't think that we should be limited. Everybody's creative. Creative people do more than one thing. Did your so. friends know you could sing? Back, like, were you, let's say you're in the, at the, back in the trailer. Did, did they know you as Rita, who could sing really well? But is also a great actress. I'm just trying. I'm just finding uh, where probably no. But I went to drama school. I had I had done this small play called Vanities, and the director of that play said, "Oh, you, you seem to be liking to be on the stage. Have you ever had any formal training?" And I'm like, "Not formal training, no." He said, "Well, you should probably go to get some like Shakespeare stage training." And I was like, "Where do you do that?" <laughs> like stage you mean like a sound stage at paramount like i literally <laughs> i don't think i'd ever even seen a play and he said oh there's these schools that you can go to and he put me in touch with a woman that had come from this program in london at the london academy of music and dramatic art so i applied and i got in while i was there they would have us do different things like to kind of get us out of our comfort zone and one of them was they assigned me to sing this opera thing English? English. It and was English? actually a Rossini opera, but um, uh, I, I had to sing it as a duet with another woman. And this woman was an amazing singer. And I thought, I'm not ever going to be pulling this off. But anyways, I did it. And I remember one of my teachers came up to me and said, I didn't know you could sing. <laughs> I was like, am I? <laughs> I like, am I? Was you call that singing? I don't know. <laughs> but it was nice to hear that, you know, in, in a way. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they'll last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. They offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. And stay cool in short-sleeve moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tacova's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. Tacovas dot com. And don't go gently, y'all. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, 
alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Amy Brown here to talk about the incredible work that's being done by St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and to ask you today to join me in becoming a partner in hope. When you make a donation to St. Jude, you're helping an organization that has helped push the overall childhood cancer survivor rate from 20% to more than 80%. And I can tell you from personal experience, that number and the hope that it brings is invaluable. Families do not have to worry about a thing. Treatment is covered, travel, housing, food. And when you're a family that's going through this, like imagine you're a parent, your kid gets cancer. You need to focus on that child. You don't need to be worrying about other things. And financial stuff can get really stressful. St. Jude covers it. Your support means families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment. And when you sign up for just $19 a month, you're going to get the new This Shirt Saves Lives tee. So join me in helping St. Jude in the fight against childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope and text Bobby to 785-833. That's B-O-B-B-Y to 785-833. I'm always curious about people that have done in one part of their uh, career, one part of their professional life, massive things, but then they go somewhere else and they still get really nervous even when things aren't as massive. And this has happened to me a few times. And, you know, if I'm doing radio or TV and I switch over and have to do something in an art that's not the same. And I want to take it to the Opry in you. Okay. Because I would imagine... You're a little nervous when you're singing at the Grand Ole Opry. Even though we could go down every single thing you've ever done, people would be like, why would you be nervous at the Grand Ole Opry? But my intuition is that that means enough to you that you would be really nervous going out there for the first time. You have no idea. First of all, when you do it for the first time, they put you in the very first dressing room. Where every single person and all the quotes are up and... Exactly. All the quotes are on the wall. All the photographs are on the wall. Everybody leaves their door open. People come by and welcome you. I know you've heard the expression of rubber legs. I had never experienced that until doing the Opry. Really? You come off the stage and it it feels as if your legs are like noodles. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think it would be hard for people to believe this was my point because, again, you've done some really massive things in our eyes, right? When it comes to movies, television, and now you're at the Opry, which is a big deal to us. But you're like, we're like, Rita's nervous? The Opry is, everybody knows, everybody knows what the Opry is. Everybody knows. You stand in that circle and there is weight and there is power in that. Because of all the people who have stood in that circle for, not, uh, is it 100 years mm-hmm. now? Yeah, 100 years. And uh, there's history that, that comes along with that. And we'll talk about this later, but even in, in this album of duets, when we were recording it, I felt that the history of those songs, not just the moment that the songwriters wrote them, but Everything that came after that, the original singer, all the people who've covered those songs, the people who have sing those have sung those songs in their lives, have used them for different occasions. There's a power to the history of things like that. 
even though they may be ephemeral. And that's what you're experiencing. The first time that I played the Opry, I remember not being able to see anybody's face because the lights... The second time I played the Opry, it wasn't the same because I had experienced it and I wasn't as, as nervous, right? But I remember being so nervous that the lights seemed oh. way too bright. Yes. And I could see nobody's face and I wouldn't even look all the way into the crowd and I just was like, I don't know how this is going. And there were people, oh. everybody's there for your first time. Like I'm people. getting chills, like, as you're saying this. It's scary <laughs> already. And this, and I, I, the first time is more of an experience, but I actually found the second time more enjoyable because I got to appreciate yes. the moment and go, okay, this is awesome. The first time I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, what is like, that? Yeah, it's like you're questioning why you even deserve to be here the first time. But then you have people like Jeannie Seely who comes up and says, you know, God, we're so happy to have you. Thank you so much for being here. Everybody is so great. Uh, one of the guys, Larry Paxton, played on my first album. He's in the Opry Band. The Opry Band is so amazing that, you know, literally they got your back. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so there's all of those elements that conspire to make you feel more comfortable. But no one will ever be able to not have the rubber legs coming off that stage. <laughs> no way. One more question before we get into the album. It's that you do come to town a decent amount to write because people say, hey, we wrote with Rita today or... She was in town, but I think you're only in town one day now, right? Is it just yes, a, so, one day? I'm I'm kind of like traveling around. Yeah, what well, you, when you talk about work ethic, like you come to town and you work, and you get the work done, and then you go back and you do other work. But it's like you're dedicated to this. Yes, and this is not an easy trip for no. someone who has to go to LA. It's not <laughs> either way. It ain't easy there. It ain't no, easy it's back. It's true. It's true. Why? 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 Because there's love there, and you know what we do for love. We bend over backwards. We want to make things happen. I I have a really wonderful community of friends here, songwriters, artists, people that live here that the only regret that I have is that, you know, we didn't get an apartment here like 10 years ago yeah, right. <laughs> when I first started coming down because now I come and I look downtown and I'm counting cranes like, mm. whoa, I think the last time I was here, I counted like 12 or something in the downtown area. Yeah. It's like, whoa. We have a barn back there if you guys want to stay yeah. there. It's fully <laughs> okay, built now. You, you can just stay there. Thank you. <laughs> but I want to play. So now because of legal rules, we can only play up to a certain amount of time of yes. these songs. So yes. I'm going to roll through all of them because I think this whole – it's so good. It's such a great project. Thank you. Uh, with Keith Urban, Crazy Love. Here you go. First of all, obviously uh, – a song that I mean, makes me think of different times in my life of all the different times I heard the song by different people, right? It's right. That, that is such a wonderful song. Why Keith Urban for that song specifically? Keith has one of the greatest voices ever, you know? Uh, there is something about uh, Keith can reinterpret things, and I know you've seen him in concert. He's an amazing live performer. But his voice... Um, on on what do we call it tape <laughs> his voice on tape registers and his tone is so beautiful i just i just i don't know i thought of him for that song and it never quite left my mind you know it kind of had to be him with smoky robinson where's the love <gasps> where is the love i mean smoky robinson that's just seeing that name. Oh, my goodness. Did you know Smokey Robinson? No, no. I had met him, you know, in passing. Didn't really know him. Okay, he is one of the greatest songwriters and performers of all time. When you just think of the songs that he has, Tracks of My Tears, Cruisin'. Um, uh, uh, um, Tears, Tears of 
Tears of a Clown. clown. You know, it goes on and on. And he's written for himself. He's written for others. The other day, um, we did uh, Good Morning America together. And we sang Where's the Love? Okay, you know, you you know, when you do a show like that, you're up at four in the morning. Mm -hmm. Guess who's right on time? Really? Smokey Robinson's a little early. He's there. We do the rehearsal. He's amazing. It's surreal. That's another moment where you're like, you're looking at this person who's got these clear green eyes that you feel you know because of your history with the music and knowing who he is, looking across from him and singing to each other. That's like ridiculous. He And he loved the song. That's the, that's the most fun part. He loved the song because if the artist didn't love the song, we would go to another choice and sure. say, okay, what else? Uh, here, I, so cool. Here's another one. That's so cool. Smokey Robinson's so cool. That's so, he is uh, so cool. Uh, Willie Nelson, Slip Sliding Away. Slip Sliding Away. I mean, Willie, what can I say about Willie? I listen to everything. Him. I, yeah, I mean, I don't even know where to start because I have all these different decades of my Willie experience. Been with, with my grandma, with my mom, having yes. him on my show, being a fan. Like Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain is one of my favorite top three songs of all time. God, that song. And so, again, it's almost like I'm in awe of all these people, and I just want to go like, well, what was it like? So it's almost like, what was it like to be able to do a song with Willie Nelson? Well, what I love, well, first of all, surreal, okay. Uh, my amazing co-producer, Matt Rawlings, was, he's, was living in Nashville. Um, he produced and won Grammys for Willie's Sinatra album, My Way, and also the Gershwin album. And... He was the one who knew Willie, so he made the ask to Willie. But in this album of duets of 70s cover songs, what we were trying to do or like what I thought would be a cool idea was, all right, how do you make it different? Well, it's duets. But these songs typically haven't been done as duets. I knew Willie liked Paul Simon, and I thought, wow, this would be a, perhaps a cool song. So we presented Slip Sliding Away a great song and now it felt to me like some interpretation of a woman saying this about this man and a man saying this about this woman and to hear there's so much poignancy in Willie's voice and when he says something like the nearer your destination the more you're slip sliding away it gives you chills but at the same time I'm like yeah Willie you're not going anywhere for a really long time <laughs> you're gonna be, I love you and you're you're here to stay <laughs> with Jackson Brown here is Let It Be Me. Let it be me. I mean, these, all these songs are so good, too. It's like it's reminding me of all the times. Even Slip Sliding Away. Like, I, I have, like, even three cover versions of the originals. Yeah. Like, even, like, an Aqualung cover version. Even, like, you know, <laughs> Aqualung. And all of it's, like, I just I love these songs so much <laughs> in, in, in many different places. But Jackson Brown, one of the coolest. The coolest. And, you know, in the 70s, he was considered like the songwriter's songwriter. In the Eagles documentary, like Don Henley and Glenn Fry are looking over there like, Jackson lived below us. And, you know, we'd be like upstairs partying and Jackson would be down there writing and writing and we'd be hearing it and the song would be getting better and better. And he is like that. And, you know, there's a, a cool book called Rock Me on the Water, which is about 1974, this year of music and politics and TV and film. And there's a quote in there by Jackson that he talked about never hanging out at the Troubadour. Troubadour was our great local club because he said, I knew that if I was at the Troubadour, I wasn't at home writing music. 
that's how dedicated he was as a songwriter. He's an incredible person. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they'll last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. They offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. And stay cool in short-sleeve moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tacova's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. Tacovas.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. With Leslie Hodum Jr., Massachusetts. I mean, <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> He's like butter, his voice. It's just so, like, it, it literally melts you. Um, an incredible talent. I, I had met him only once when I had seen Hamilton on day three of previews. You know, that's before the mm-hmm. show is even open. They're still kind of tweaking it. And he opened his mouth to sing as Aaron Burr in that musical. And I, 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 I couldn't take my eyes off of him and I couldn't take my ears off of him. He was just incredible. You know, he's, he's a wonderful actor, a wonderful singer, songwriter. Did just you ever get gift. to a point where you're like, I can't believe everybody's saying yes. Or I can't believe all these people are saying yes. Because it's like the coolest group of people I've ever seen all together. And I'm not even, I'm just basically halfway through it right now. I, I, I felt like there was something that was... Uh, fortuitous for us and that was that we were in year two of the pandemic and I think people still were not touring and people were home and when the project you know the idea was pitched to them I think they could respond because it was songs that they knew Mm -hmm. songs they could just relate to and and connect to and I think we we got lucky in that way too one of the ones I was really struck by the first time I heard it because I love Elvis Costello I just I, I love Elvis. I love it. He's so good. He's so good. Uh, here is fire. fire. And maybe it's I love Elvis Costello. Maybe it's the tone of the guitar. 
you know. That, yeah, I think that uh, Elvis played on uh, played guitar on some of that, and I think that is either Dave Levita or Dean Parks on that solo, which is you know two incredible guitarists. And the song's great too. I mean, forever you fire. I mean. It's, that's, <laughs> There's it's this like, one thing that Elvis does, which I think is so amazing. And that song was written by Bruce Springsteen, and uh, the Pointer Sisters made it famous, but Bruce had actually written it for Elvis mm, Presley. I didn't know that. And he sent it. He doesn't know if Elvis ever heard the song because Elvis died. And then a guy called Robert Gordon cut it. I don't know if the Pointer Sisters heard that version or if they heard a demo, but whatever. They were the ones that made it famous. But there is a, a part in this song that Elvis Costello sings when he sings And When We Kiss, Fire. He draws out Kiss as if there is so much frustration and angst. Like if he doesn't get to kiss this woman, he's going to go bananas. And then the fire is like this big exclamation mm-hmm. point. You know, I just loved his take on that. Here's our buddy Tim McGraw on If. And if the world should stop revolving. Have you got oh, a chance gorgeous. to spend time with Tim? Yeah. Oh, yeah. By the way, uh, you know, Tim is like an, an encyclopedic jukebox. He's his own, you know, iPod of music when it comes to the 70s. He knows so much. And he, he often does 70s songs as sort of like a pre-stage sort of you know, let's get together and sing before we go on. And I had never heard him sing like this, but he was a bread fan. So I love that he picked this song. We mentioned Jimmy earlier, and here is I'll Be There. I'll be there. I mean, the, the Michael Jackson, Jackson 5, just look over my shoulder. Oh, I mean, yeah. Jimmy's able to do that as a mature man. Where it doesn't sound creepy. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it's like purely derivative of Michael, but it's still like you go, oh yeah, no. you can even hear Michael doing it. Just my show, right? exactly. Like, and I was like, I was glad that he kept that in because I don't know, you know, you never know if that's an improv when the Jacksons did it or if it was, uh, if if it was something that was written. But I love that he left that in there. Uh, you know, he's an amazing singer, and he told me once that he came to Nashville. He in when he was in LA, they said you're too country, and then when he came to Nashville, he was starting to hear well, you're too pop. He is the perfect combination. I think he's defined his sound so beautifully, and he does it so well. And I'm so thrilled with all the success that he has had because he so deserves it. He's an amazing human. It even in the, it doesn't even feel forced. No, what, because again, like you said, was that just them? Improv, yeah, just just ad libbing all, all the way, you know, through the song. I'm like, like, just look up your show. But and he does that, but it doesn't sound like he's trying to force it just for the sake of it. No, and that really struck me the first time I heard it. I was like, hey, exactly, Jimmy, that's awesome. Uh, Vince Gill, without you. Oh. I mean, Vince Gill, the hardest person to cover in the whole world because he sings uh, like an angel Anything. and and yeah. and at a at a high, very yeah. high. He takes you to heaven for mm-hmm. a little visit when you sing with him. Yeah, awesome. Heaven, Josh Groban, too. I mean, yes. we could do both these together. But one thing about Vince that I, I love, and we were like, okay, here, here are the songs. He had been on my first album. He sang harmonies on um, Faithless Love, and uh, that album was called AMFM Cover Songs also. And I didn't know him when, you know, um, Fred Mullins, my producer of that first album, asked um, uh, Vince to do the song. 
when I asked him about this album and I said, look, um, is there a song that you love? I have some ideas. And he said, without you. And I love the song. That was it his was, suggestion? It was his suggestion. That's cool. Because he said he would sing that song with his family. That's with his really girls. Cool. Yeah. And yeah, Amy. It was very cool. The last track, uh, speaking of people that take you to heaven, <laughs> Josh Groban, here's Songbird. And vocally, Vince and Josh, they don't sing anywhere near each other, but they, all that just kind of works together. Those two tracks, I listened to them together, I was like, man, I don't know why you put them at 9 and 10, maybe it was the songs, maybe not, but I really liked, and I don't want to say juxtaposition, but yeah, it still felt like that, like the perfect combination of songs beside each other with you and those two i love that you know i think it's important how you sequence an album i still listen to albums when my friends or any any album comes out that i'm interested in i listen to it from start to finish in one sitting i feel like that's what the artists made the record for and you know they're telling a story and so this was really about these conversations of love and uh uh songbird to me felt like a good ending because it feels like vows people might be saying to each other. Mm-hmm. If you really love someone, you know, I'll do this for you. You know, I got your back sort of thing. The album, Rita Wilson, now in forever duets, go stream it, go download it, go buy it. People still buy CDs sometimes. I do. You know, I tell you, I was with a couple of my nieces last night and well, even yesterday, we, they're from Los Angeles and mm-hmm. they came and they love country music. So I took them to the Opry and took them all backstage. Oh, that's I can great. do the tour myself now because yeah. I just I, I'm there so often. I take them all around, and I said, "Hey, we have some CDs." They're like, "CDs? What's that?" And I was like, <laughs> "You know what? Never mind. We're gonna move on." So, but it's up. The the, the album's wonderful. It really is wonderful. Thank you so much, Bobby. Uh, Rita will also be making a return to New York City's Cafe Carlisle for a special two week residency, October 25th through November 5th. For a ticket, go to at Rita Wilson which is your, your Instagram, yeah, socials. Exactly. It's, it's all up there. Uh, it's it's really great. It really is really great. Thank you, I, I enjoyed sometimes, and I'll be honest with you, I don't enjoy having to listen to things if I don't enjoy them before I meet with somebody. Yes. Luckily, I'd already listened to some of yours because uh, I have friends that were kind of bragging about it, but it, it's wonderful. Thank it's, you it's, so it's much. It's wonderful. Um, the final question I have for you is one of the people on my show, they were at, the, at CMA Fest, and you were at CMA Fest, mm-hmm. and they were just sitting in a random place. And they ran into you and your husband sitting in the random normal people seats. And they were like, why would they be sitting in the random normal people seats? Where would we be otherwise? In oh, the, the, when we were at Keith's show. Maybe. Yeah, were, we were at Keith's show. At CMA Fest? Yeah. But, they, but my point is, what do you mean where would you be? You would be in the fancy where people can't bother you, like with the wine and the champagne and frou-frou. That's not really getting the experience, is it, though? Like, and by the way, you. we've done that and it's great. But if you really want to get an experience of being like at the show, you got to be at the show. She was shocked. She's like, she just came across you guys sitting with the people. And she was like, nobody was bothering them because nobody thought that was really them sitting with the people. It was like seeing Jerry Seinfeld at a gas station in Mississippi. You're like, there's no way that's really him. So I ain't even going to try to talk to that person. Did that happen to you? No, but oh, that's okay. like my analogy of like, you just go, that can't. He like super unleaded by the way <laughs> well I, be- I do believe that so i so you guys do that you will go and yes. pursue listen don't forget i was a ticket taker at a concert I, venue i used to sit on the steps and watch the concerts that's how you get the show uh, well this has been a real treat for me we've done over an hour oh my god this has been a real this treat. has been a real treat for me i had 
no idea you were going to get me to cry like a little teeny tiny baby. <laughs> uh, you're very generous with this interview, so thank you very much. Thank you, and Bobby. I appreciate your passion in all aspects. I appreciate your parents. Thank you. That's, thank you. So do I. I mean, I think of all of this. That, I mean, that resonates so hard with me about the, your parents and how much they loved you and how much they loved it here and how hard they fought to get here. They did. God bless America. God bless America. My dad. Is right. That's awesome. Okay, you guys follow Rita. Get tickets. Stream the album at Rita Wilson. And Rita, a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Bobby. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit Tacova's.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And don't go gently, y'all.